It's a warm August afternoon on Congressman Jim Trafficant's farm just outside of Youngstown. A man has arrived to have a conversation with Trafficant's farmhand, a guy named Clarence Broad. They seem to be talking about a price for a job the Trafficant needs done. On that uh, other problem, you know, I was like seven sound. I'll just let him know. All right, you let him know, and um, I do need half up front. This is a reenactment based on a transcript of their conversation. Let me find out. Let me talk to the man about it. Okay, all right, well, you, you just tell him. Oh, I'll tell him. I'll see what he's got to say, and I'll tell him the price. I'll tell him. You just tell him that wherever the funds come from, I don't want it traced, you know? Oh, you ain't got to worry. He pays cash. He's a cash man. He's a cash man. A huge political corruption investigation had just wrapped up in Youngstown. Nearly 80 public officials were indicted. And Clarence Broad is worried that his boss, Jim Trafficant, might be next. Police are trying to bug him. The FBI is trying to fucking put him in jail. And there's someone on the farm that Clarence Broad is most worried about. Her name is Sandy Ferranti. She's lived and worked there for 17 years as a caretaker and horse trainer. And she and Trafficant are close, maybe too close. There were rumors that they were lovers. She can take him down. She can take him down with no problem. Lately, Jim and Sandy had a falling out, and in a fit of anger, Sandy had slashed the tires on Jim's truck. She could take him down before his wife could take him down. And that's the key. The keys to this whole problem right here. I understand that. Broaden this guy agree on a price to take care of this problem. So, um, 3500 up front, right? 3500 up front, half down. What do you think? How you guys want this to go down? What's your, uh, what's your idea? The bitch needs to suffer. To me, she, she just needs to suffer. It turned out that the man Broad was hiring to take care of Sandy Ferranti was wearing a wire for the FBI. The FBI had been taking a close look at Trafficant's farm, and no one knew more about that farm than Sandy. I've seen a lot of people come on the farm. I've seen a lot of them go. And I don't know if, it's, if that's a worry to him or not. I have no idea. I'm Mark Smerling, and this is Crooked City. More revelations tonight concerning the hold organized crime figures have over the Mahoning Valley. Leave you wondering who will be left standing in Mahoning County when the dust settles. I didn't know at the time that the U.S. Attorney's Office was looking at Congressman Trafficant. Chuck Onesti was his chief of staff. And I said to Trafficant, why are you surrounding yourself with all of these creeps? And he said, because I'm loyal to my friends. He was the core of Youngstown. He was what Youngstown represented. And they tried to pin him as a mobster. He was not a mobster. Chapter 14, The Farm. 
I had an idea where this farm was, and I'm like, I'm just going to go drive by it. I just want to go see it. This is FBI agent Rich Denholm. In 1999, Denholm was assigned to a new case, taking a look at Congressman Jim Trafficking. So one day he took a drive out to Trafficking's horse farm, just outside of Youngstown. It had been kind of a rainy day. The sun was starting to come out. I'm coming up this two-lane farm road, and I'm coming up on Trafficking's farm. The fencing, the giant barn. Can you imagine how expensive it is to own horses and own a horse farm? and then pay employees to work there on a government salary. I'm kind of trying to drive and look at the farm, but not stop and not be seen, right? Um, it's about a 55 mile an hour road, so traffic can go pretty fast. All of a sudden, right in front of me is like this old 1959 Chevy or something that's fallen apart. And the guy is starting to weave all over the road and he goes off the road right in front of me, right in front of Trafficking's farm. And the car flips over about 10 times. Beer cans are pouring out of the car. I, I'm praying that the car flips far enough down the road that I don't have to stop right in front of the farm. The guy is laying on the road, right? You would think he'd be dead, but he was so drunk, he was still alive. Denholm was worried about the guy, but he was also worried the trafficking might see him. So now I have to call. I get to Ohio State Highway Patrol out there. They come out, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm leaving. I'm gone. <laughs> I got to go. And that's how I first saw the farm. Agent Denholm started investigating Congressman Trafficking after the Youngstown public corruption case turned up connections between mob boss Lenny Strollo and the congressman's staff. Charles Onesti, an aide to Congressman Jim Trafficking for the past dozen years, is charged with bribery and extortion. He allegedly delivered money from mob boss Lenny Strollo to certain Youngstown area public officials. Onesti was tied to Lenny Strollo, and Chuck is on Trafficking's congressional staff. What world is this? Pretty much the whole office was looking at Chuck. He was pretty much the, the linchpin to all this stuff. Onesti had even been caught on an FBI wiretap talking with Lenny Strollo. On that call, Onesti and Strollo talk about rigging a bid on a state job for a local paving company. That company was owned by two brothers, Bob and Tony Bucci. And after these indictments started coming down, those two brothers were suddenly looking at serious jail time. So Tony Bucci started talking, but not just about Lenny Strollo. One of the key things that Bucci was saying, essentially that Trafkin was helping him when he had trouble with the Ohio Department of Transportation. If Congressman Trafkin was calling the Ohio Department of Transportation, or ODOT, on behalf of a mob-connected paving contractor, Agent Denholm wanted to know why. My partner and I got in the car. We drove to a farm trying to locate this one ODOT inspector who Trafkin had been threatening on behalf of Bucci. They found the ODOT inspector at home, and he invited Denholm and his partner inside. He kind of chuckled to start, and I was like, oh, this is probably good. He hated criminal acts and fraudsters as much as I did, right? Like, he's going to unload. And he did. 
This ODOT inspector explained that it was his job to make sure that the Bucci's did their paving jobs right. But they didn't. Paving contractors, especially in Youngstown, Ohio, it was a dirty business in many, many ways. If ODOT gave them a contract and they were supposed to put down five inches of pavement and they put down three inches of pavement but billed ODOT for the full amount, then they could steal the other two inches, which turned into tons, and go pave other things and get people to pay them. They would have ODOT inspectors giving them crap for them trying to cheat, right? Because the more they could cheat, the more money they would make. And when they got in trouble, they needed help. And after the Bucci's were cited by ODOT inspectors, the phone would start ringing at ODOT headquarters. Trafficant would call the director of ODOT to say, hey, you got this problem employed. He's messing with my guys. I'm going to get him fired and you got to get off my guy Bucci. Trafficking could threaten their funding as well, right? Because Trafficking was on the Transportation Committee in Congress. He knew that leverage he had. He knew that threat had value and would carry weight. So now Agent Denholm knew that Trafficking was helping a mob-connected paving company get out of trouble when they ran scams. But that wasn't enough to bring a charge of corruption. Because you need a quid pro quo in a corruption case, a this for that. So what's the other side of the equation? Bucci had a little square from a diner. You know, if you go to a diner, they have those paper placemats. And it had been torn off at a corner, and there was all this writing on it. And it was in blue ink, clearing roads, cutting trees, and a bunch of other stuff. And we're like, okay, Tony, what is this? He goes, that's Trafficking's handwriting. Bucci was doing work on Trafficking's farm and not charging him. It was a bartered exchange between the two. Bucci gets in trouble, he goes running to Jim Trafficant. Trafficant's getting on the phone, yelling at people, writing letters, doing whatever. And in return, Bucci had to go do stuff at Trafficant's farm. It may not have been a briefcase full of cash, but from a legal perspective, it was pretty good. And Denholm wondered what else was going on out at that farm. The more rocks we kicked over, the more we found... Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. FBI agent Rich Denholm had evidence that Congressman Jim Trafficking was exchanging his political influence for work on his farm. Now he wanted to know who else was doing jobs for Trafficking. So on occasion, he would drive by the congressman's house. And one of those times I drove by, I saw a bunch of construction workers pouring concrete in a barn. 
boy, I wonder who that is working. So it's not very hard for me to pull license plates, take pictures. And then very quickly I could find out, oh, that's Dave Sugar's company. It turned out that this guy, Dave Sugar's son, had gotten in trouble for drunk driving. And trafficking got him out of trouble. In exchange, Sugar's company poured a free concrete floor in Trafficking's barn. Denholm kept watching who was coming and going at Trafficking's properties. Trafficking got a new deck built on his farmhouse. In exchange, he wrote letters to Vice President Al Gore to help get a government contract for the construction company that did the work. Agent Denholm also discovered that Trafficking had sold his boat for way more money than it was worth. And he used his position on the Aviation Subcommittee in Congress to help out the guy who bought it. Trafkin had written on congressional letterhead on behalf of these people. He had verbal conversations tying the specific bribes to specific acts. I mean, this is just really old school bribery. And it was great evidence. Finally, Denholm took a look into Trafkin's congressional office in Youngstown. And that's where I first started hearing Alan Sinclair's name. Alan Sinclair was a successful local lawyer. Denholm discovered that he was also listed as one of Trafficking's congressional staff, despite the fact that he ran a busy law practice. There's something wrong with that guy. He's a federal employee and he's also practicing law. So I find it hard to believe he's given 40 hours a week to the U.S. government. I have instincts. My spidey senses are like, this guy's a crook. In fact... Denholm suspected that Sinclair wasn't actually doing any work on trafficking staff and that he was kicking back part of his salary. So he asked Sinclair to come in for an interview. I went for it. One of my early questions was, how much money are you kicking back to the congressman? He gets a thousand yard stare on his face. And I thought he was going to pass out and throw up at the same time. And then he says, I'm not helping you. And he storms out of the office. And I'm like, oh, no. So I knew at that point, I knew where he was going. I knew he was going back to Jimbo. And he was going to say, oh, my God, the FBI just hit me. But a few days later, Sinclair showed back up on Denholm's doorstep. And now he wants to come clean. Sinclair said the trafficking was like, hey, I'm going to hire you for $100,000 a year. But by the way, you're going to kick 20 back to me. And you're going to put it in an envelope and slide it under my door. And he's holding a bag of paper that's leaking water. It's a smoking, smoldering wet bag with burned envelopes, burned cash, and then some untouched envelopes of cash. Denholm ended up being right about Sinclair. After their first meeting, Sinclair ran right to Trafficking, and Trafficking told Sinclair that they had to destroy the evidence. And they went and they started burning all the envelopes and all the cash. And at some point, Trafficking got distracted, right? So he left and he told Alan, just go ahead and burn the rest of the stuff. So actually, literally what happened is Alan's burning stuff and Alan's got a wife and kids and he's like, his life flashed in front of him and he's like, uh, oh no, I can't do this. And he sees my face. And so he stopped and he came to us and he became our number one witness. Now Agent Denholm had enough evidence to indict Jim Trafficking. And because of Sinclair, Trafficking knew all about it. So it was early in the morning. 
where my desk was, there was a door that opened up where I could see right in the reception area. And I look out in the lobby and I'm like, oh, there's Jim Trafficking. What? He's got a black jacket on and I'll never forget. It said U.S. House of Representatives. I'm like, oh, you're showing up here as congressman. So I go out there and I'm like, yeah. He goes, I want to talk to you. I go, who's me? He goes, Denholm. I told him to show me his hands because he had his hands in his pockets. I was that concerned. He goes, he literally says, are you the short, fat FBI agent who's looking at me? And he expected I was going to turn into a puddle of goo and cry and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I go, you don't do that. I don't care if you're a congressman or not. This is looking pretty bad for you. We were going to stay focused. Trafkin now knew that the FBI was trying to talk to anybody who was close to him. And few people were closer than the longtime caretaker on his farm, Sandy Ferranti, from the top of the episode. A gentleman approached me. He showed me his badge. He said, I'm with the FBI. There's been a death threat on your life. That gentleman was Agent Rich Denholm. Denholm had developed sources in his investigation of Congressman Jim Trafficking, and one of them had told him about Sandy Ferranti. We had good information that somebody wanted to kill Sandy Ferranti, and we weren't going to sit on it. They drove to a nearby Wendy's restaurant, and one of the agents placed a cassette player on the table in front of Sandy. She can take him down. She can take him down with no problem. She could take him down before his wife could take him down. This was a tape recorded by the undercover FBI agent on Trafficking's farm. Sandy recognized his voice instantly. Clarence Broad, he was a hand at the farm. He had a drug problem. He was just kind of a low-life type of guy. He pays cash. He's a cash man. He's a cash man. I said, oh, that sounds like Jim. Could Jim be behind us? And Sandy recognized that the woman they were talking about was her. The bitch needs to suffer. To me, she, she just needs to suffer. The FBI arrested Clarence Broad, but he wasn't talking. And there was no evidence the trafficking knew that Broad was trying to pay a guy to kill Sandy. So charges were never filed against the congressman. This is News Radio 570 WKBN. Sundays with more. And that made Sandy Ferranti very angry. So she called into a popular Youngstown talk radio show. Would you let him know you thought he was behind it? Yeah. To his I, face? Yes, I did. On the phone. I, I called him at yeah, home. Okay. I said, how could you do this? How could you be a part of this? Yeah. And, and, uh, and he said, don't insult me. He, and then he started to laugh. I said, is that the answer I get? And he says, do what you have to do, and hung up on me. But at no point did he say to you, look, Sandy, I, I had nothing to do with this. He has never said anything that he wasn't involved in it. I don't so know. I, I feel in my heart that he was behind it. And that's me speaking. That's not the FBI. That's Sandy Ferrani speaking. And let him prove he's not behind it. Not much was clear about Jim Trafficking's relationship with Sandy Ferranti. Was she a scorned lover? Did she have evidence that could indict him for corruption? We may never know. But now there is one thing that was clear to Trafficking. After this radio show, everyone in the Mahoning Valley knew their congressman was in hot water with the FBI. I knew if he got on television, it was going to be hell. He could go on the airwaves every night, and he could command attention on pretty much every network and defame us. It made us mad. 
They better not make a damn mistake. And if there's anything I've done, it's something that anybody else in Congress has done, and they're trying to make mountains out of molehills, and I won't stand for it. I was working all day, sometimes late into the night, coming home, and then sitting there watching with my jaw dropped with these outlandish allegations that were all lies. The FBI, Justice Department, Treasury, IRS, I think they're a bunch of liars. His shtick had always worked. His shtick had been to intimidate, to bully, to belittle, and to distract. This is going to be a fight. I don't like them. They don't yeah. like me. And I think the people in America better take their government back. Right. He had a temper. I also knew he was scared. In the old Soviet Union, the KGB would come out and shoot Peter right behind the head. In America, they'd just destroy you in a court and take away everything you have. And quite frankly, this is from Jim Trafficking to the IRS and the FBI. Go to hell. Trafkin also took his fight to the House floor. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard on the news that I was involved in a murder scheme. It made national headline news. If that isn't poisoning a voir dire, what is? Some of the stuff he said in there, if it hadn't been on the House floor, we could have sued him because it was untouchable because of the speech or debate clause in the Constitution. Mr. Speaker, I'm under investigation by the United States Justice Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Internal Revenue Service. They've targeted me for 20 years. Trafkin even put forth a bill in Congress to form a watchdog agency to investigate the FBI. I'm working with a congressional subcommittee. We will be issuing letters requesting information from the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Justice Department. He's trying to use the power of Congress to pass a law to help himself. These are complete abuses of authority. I don't trust our government. You're listening to a member of Congress. I came here not trusting them. I still don't trust them. He was trying to intimidate us. He knew what he had done. He knew what he did. And he knew it was going to go bad. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. In the spring of 2001, a federal grand jury convened in Cleveland to consider bringing charges against Congressman Jim Trafficking. Then I get a subpoena to testify before the grand jury. This is Paul Marconi. You might remember him from a prior episode. He was Jim Trafficking's chief of staff in Washington, D.C. Soon after Paul was subpoenaed for the grand jury, Trafficking pulled him aside to talk. He took me out in the hallway. He kept saying, they ask you about Alan and, and, and what they did. You tell him that he worked on this, this, and this. Alan, as in Alan Sinclair, the guy who kicked back part of his federal salary to Trafficking but never did any work. Trafficking was asking Paul to lie to the grand jury and say that Sinclair did do work. I said, Jim, I can't say that. And he kept getting angry with me, saying, now you tell him he did this, this, and this. I said, I can't say that. I don't know he did that. Then Paul got on a plane to Cleveland and went to the federal courthouse. And I get into the grand jury room, and <laughs> they start grilling me on stuff. He said, were you aware that this company had done $18,000 of work on the Congress's farm? 
<laughs> I said, no. I'm really flipping out because all of a sudden things start falling into place. Like this one company that he was intent on helping and I couldn't figure out why. So Jim, why do you want to help this company? They're a bunch of dirt bags. He goes, oh, there's a lot of this hundreds of jobs at stake. I know they're not the, the best people, but we got to keep them afloat. Then I find out in the grand jury room, oh, that's why we were helping these companies. Oh, that's why he hired this guy. You know, he was in some ways like a father figure to me. So it's like finding out your dad is a drug dealer. And then when I got back, I told him I said it was the worst experience of my life. And he, he just shrugged his shoulders. He didn't really care. And I would have loved for him to say, I'm sorry you're going through this. It's all my fault. The grand jury indicted Trafkin on 10 counts of corruption. A trial date was set. Back in his first federal corruption trial, Trafkin represented himself and won. Now, he was going to try to do that again. I said, Jim, this is not like your first trial. This is a different type of trial. They have a lot of evidence against you. And there was another big difference. This time, the judge ruled against Trafkin's motion to have people from Youngstown serve on the jury. Another reason why Marconi didn't like the idea of Trafficking representing himself. You really need a good lawyer. And he just didn't want to listen. He was very stubborn. He looks at me and he says, all I need is one. All I need is one juror to dig their heels in and say not guilty. And I get a hung jury and they're not going to try me again. And he goes, let me tell you something. When the chips are down, there's no one better in the courtroom than I am. On a Monday morning in February of 2002, Trafficking arrived at the federal courthouse in Cleveland. I guess I'm here. What's the key message you want to get across? I think the most important thing I could say is this. The people from Youngstown should recognize you have a congressman who has enough balls to show up and represent his people. And I'm very disappointed that the people in my district who are honest, good people, were excluded from an opportunity to serve on this jury. I wish everybody well. I got to file some motions. Get out of my way before you get me mad. During the weeks-long trial, the government presented its case to the jury, with dozens of witnesses and a long paper trail of documents. Trafficking's defense was not so organized. The morning of the second day of my testimony, we're sitting there in the courtroom waiting for the judge to arrive. And Trafficking's being trafficking. He's, he's prowling around the courtroom, talking to everyone. He sees the courtroom artist. He goes, let me see what you're drawing. He looks at the picture and he... He points to me, he goes, you make him look like Paul Newman, I look like a jackass. Rip that up and, and draw another picture. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's facing eight to 10 years in prison and he's worried about what the courtroom artist is drawing. He was totally unprepared for my testimony. He's like flipping through his notes. It was kind of like stream of consciousness. That was the worst experience of my life. Trafficking called far fewer witnesses than the government, but he did have one surprise for the jury. I called Sandra Franti. His longtime horse trainer, Sandy Franti. What are, are you most noted for in your background? Showing and training saddlebreds. Did you show any of my horses the world championship? Yes, sir. The federal trial was not recorded, but Sandy gave similar testimony in this later hearing. Did you Remember... This is the same woman who at one point believed Trafkin was trying to kill her. Uh, were you a part of a murder scheme plot? Yes, I was. 
and who was supposedly to kill you? Um, you were supposed to, indirectly, you were supposed to have been behind it. Did that tarnish your friendship? Well, sure. I wasn't going to like you if you were going to have me whacked. <laughs> when you read in the paper there was no indictment about the murder, is that when you called my wife and me and apologized? Yes. Why did you apologize to my wife? Well, I apologized because they said that uh, you and I were, uh, had a relationship, a love relationship, and that we were an item. And I called and told her it wasn't true. You and I sex partners? No. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. This was the power of Jim Trafficking. Whether he was taking bribes under the table or seemingly ordering a hit, he could always depend on the loyalty of the people of Youngstown. And it's hard to imagine anything he could have done to lose that loyalty. Are you and I very good friends, Sandy? Yes, yes. Do we have a mutual love? Yes. What is that love? It's a love of everything, of horses, and that I'm an animal lover, and you and I are a lot of time on the same wavelength. We think a lot alike. We have breaking news. The jury has reached a verdict in the Jim Trafficking trial. Trafficking has been found guilty of all 10 counts. We had a mission. We've proved the allegations to be true. The jury agreed. I felt vindication, too. FBI agent Rich Denholm remembers walking out of the trial on the last day and passing Trafficking on the courthouse steps. And he stops, puts his arm around me, turns me around to the press and says, this is the best FBI agent in history and I'm going to run Denholm for Mahoney County Sheriff. And I just laughed. I said, not in a million years, Jim. No way. First of all, I want you to get your cameras out of my face. You are fucking pissing me off. What do you think is a fair sentence? Fair sentence? I don't know. For me, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't charge me with murder. Are you going to hang in there or resign? Well, I've never been one to back out. Jim Trafkin was going to prison, but that didn't mean he would lose his congressional seat. If the truth comes out, you're looking at the first American in history to serve a constituency from a prison cell in America. That's next time on the final episode of Crooked City. Crooked City is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. The show is produced by Catherine Sullivan, Zach St. Louis, Olivia Briley, and Alexa Burke. Ryan Swikert is our senior producer. Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling, and Ryan Swikert. Kevin Shepard is our associate producer. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Fact-checking by Donia Suleiman. George Draping-Hicks did the mix. Sound design by Zach St. Louis. Music by Marmoset. Voice acting by Nicholas Gray. Our title track is Hurricane Heart Attack by The Warlocks. Continue the conversation with us online by tweeting at Crooked City Pod. That's at Crooked City Pod. If you've enjoyed Crooked City, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening.